I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Daniel Schaefer, our investment banking correspondent, and Charlene Goff, retail banking correspondent. And down the line from Beijing, we have Simon Rabinovich, who covers Chinese financials for us. This week, we'll take a look at Goldman Sachs in the spotlight as former employee Fabrice Tour goes on trial in Manhattan. Could the case scupper the bank's attempts to improve its post-crisis reputation? Then we'll discuss the recent cash crunch in China and its aftermath. And finally, we'll take a look at the Prudential Regulation Authority in the UK and its sanctioning of Nationwide's plans to meet the new 3% leverage ratio by the end of 2015. First, though, to that topic of Goldman Sachs. Now, Daniel, they have spent a lot of time and effort over the past six to 12 months trying to burnish their image, doing a lot of PR work and so on. We've seen them arguably be quite successful in that. This week, though... It's a bit of a test. Firstly, we've got Fabrice Tour, famously uh, part of the whole abacus transaction, very controversial mortgage, allegedly mis-selling scandal. And on Tuesday, we've got second quarter results. Are either of these events going to spoil their attempts to uh, burnish their image, do you think? Not so much the results, I think, because they're going to come out or are expected to come out with quite a good second quarter with $1.5 billion in profits up from less than a billion last year, helped by general improvement in trading environment in the second quarter year on year across the street. And JP Morgan's results, which we've seen last week, have already been fairly encouraging when it comes to the investment banking side of the results. But the Fabrice Tour trial actually will be the one thing that might turn into a big reputational setback for them. Now, re- remind us of the, the context of this. This is going back a couple of years, I think, yeah. uh, or actually pre-crisis originally, is this product called Abacus, which was essentially a portfolio of mortgage-based products which were sold to certain clients in yeah. an allegedly dishonest way. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, the allegation is basically that the selection of the mortgages in the portfolio were being helped by a hedge fund, Paulson & Co., which then on the other side of the deal shorted the very same portfolio. So that is the allegation. And that is actually something where for this deal, Goldman has already paid a $550 million fine this isn't the bank in the court. This is, this is Fabrice Tour, who was Yeah, one he of the structured key... the Abacus deal, basically. Right. Yeah. And the reason it is going to be or might be a reputational setback for them is that it sort of epitomizes the picture people have about Goldman Sachs being one of the, in a way, facilitators of the financial crisis and one of the reasons for the financial crisis because they sold mortgage products that were questionable in value or that's the allegation to clients so they were not acting in the interest of the clients and they were sort of spinning this machine of selling questionable mortgage products 
And in the case of Abacus, what is interesting is they did pay a fine of 550 million, but they never admitted any wrongdoing or did accept any sort of legal responsibility for it. So this trial is due to start on Monday and presumably will go on for some time. Yeah, it, it will take a while. And, but and in the meantime, it, it shines another unwelcome light from Goldman's point of view on the whole legacy issue. I mean, we don't really know what will come out of the trial or what we will hear during the trial. But there might be things like, you know, emails that have been sent of Goldman employees with maybe, you know, questionable wording in terms of what they say about the clients. I mean, I'm just speculating here, but there's all sorts of things that could come out of, of such a trial. And it will really be a setback in Goldman's attempt to restore its image because they were partly due to their own doing because they managed to portray a better picture of themselves in the past 12 months, but also partly because because there was there was a focus on other banks that were quite successful in, in actually restoring their image in, in the past 12 months. Absolutely. Well, we'll watch that uh, evolving story closely, and I'm sure we'll come back to listeners with news of it. We should move on to our second topic, which is the woes, really, that Chinese banks have been going through in terms of their funding costs. I'm joined down the line from Beijing by Simon Rabinovich, who covers the banking sector in China for us. Simon, thanks very much for joining us. It's been a fairly volatile few weeks, hasn't it, for the Chinese banking sector? I guess at its worst towards the end of June, when we saw a real spike in the cost that banks had to pay to borrow money in the market. That's right. Around the middle of June, money market conditions in, in China began to tighten up. And there's a couple of technical reasons for that. Uh, at, towards the end of the first half, there always is a tightening. But what happened this year, unlike previous years, is that the central bank did not inject liquidity in the market. So it, it allowed the conditions to continue to tighten to the point that interbank rates, which typically hover around 3% at the short end, spiked upwards of 10 to 15 percent. And it basically led to a temporary freeze in the credit market in China. Banks weren't willing to lend to each other. Companies began to get starved of credit. And it all came to a head towards the end of June when the situation was really looking quite dire. And at that point, the central bank did blink. It actually provided emergency liquidity injections to the worst hit of the banks. And since then, conditions have returned to more or less normal. So is this a, a one-off instance or are we going to see a repeat of that? Because I think in the, in the last week or two, things have calmed down, as you say, after that intervention and things may be more back to normal. But I, I suppose what will be scaring observers and also obviously the banks themselves is that this could flare up again at any moment. I think the risk of having another crisis is too strong a word, but, but freeze up like we saw a cash crunch. The risk of that is quite minimal just because the, the government has such a tight grip on the broader financial sector in China, and it was the government that allowed the conditions to deteriorate in June. The central bank has, has learned a lesson, which is that the money market in China is much more volatile and, and much more central to the financial system than it used to be. So it would probably avoid having uh, a, a similar problem in the future. But there will be a long-term impact from the cash crunch and that is that the central bank has really sent a, a shot across the bows of, of the Chinese commercial banks and let them know that a lot of the, the tricks that they were playing to issue loans but to disguise them in various different ways are not on. And so the banks have had to actually pull their horns back a little bit. And so we've begun to see credit growth slow in China. 
And so we will have slower loan growth uh, over the remainder of the year, but we probably won't have another cash crunch. And finally, uh, just a word on the broader ramifications of that. I suppose a slowdown in, in credit growth can only play in negatively to the, the whole slowdown in the broader economy. Yeah, that would probably be the case. What was interesting was to see the, the credit numbers actually for June as a whole. The central bank's concern really centered on the fact that it wasn't just that banks were lending too much. It's that banks were funneling credit off their balance sheet through a variety of different shadow banking institutions. When the credit numbers were released last week for June as a whole, actually the normal, the plain vanilla lending numbers were, were reasonably strong. But it was all the other stuff, all the shadow banking activity that was quite a lot weaker. So overall credit growth will be slower and that will you know, lead quite possibly to, to slower economic growth over the rest of the year. But I guess what's positive from a risk control perspective is that the credit growth that will occur will be the more visible, more transparent, plain vanilla sort of credit. And all the risky stuff that was happening through the shadow banking sector will be much more limited. So it'll be slower growth, but it'll be hopefully higher quality growth. Simon, thanks very much for joining us and explaining that uh, latest development in the Chinese banking sector. So to our final topic for the day, news that Nationwide Building Society, the biggest building society in Britain, has seemingly reached an accommodation with its regulators at the Prudential Regulation Authority. There was a spat, basically, over the past few weeks, wasn't there, over how quickly Nationwide would have to come into compliance with this new leverage ratio. Charlene, you've been looking at it, or at least since your return from yeah. maternity leave, you've been looking at the second half of this story, but it's it's been quickly resolved. Seemingly. Yeah, I think it was quite a surprise that they did it so quickly and smoothly. They basically said on Friday afternoon that Nationwide had submitted a new capital plan. The PRA was satisfied that they wouldn't have to raise any fresh equity, which had been a big worry. There had been talk a couple of weeks ago that Nationwide could be facing a capital hole of as much as £2 billion. And an extremist, therefore, potentially have to end its mutual status and float on the stock exchange. Yeah, and particularly looking at what had been going on with the cooperative group, which is doing this huge debt restructuring as it attempts to plug a big capital hole at its bank. You know, there were fears that Nationwide could have to do something similar. And obviously, uh, for an institution the size of Nationwide, that would have been pretty catastrophic. This all stems back to the demands for arguably uh, surprise demands on on the banks to meet a 3% leverage ratio, which just to explain the background to this is is essentially the Basel III requirement, which will be required by 2018, I think the date is, but which British regulators seem to have wanted to institute far sooner, informally suggestions maybe as soon as 2013, the, the kind of recent test they did seem to be based around that, although ultimately with the nationwide they've been given the go-ahead to come into compliance only as late as 2015. Exactly. I mean, it, it was it was a, a bit of a strange one because Nationwide isn't the obvious institution for, for typically failing these kinds of stress measures. And the reason it did so was because it has such a big loan book full of UK mortgages generally. And actually, while they're quite low risk and, you know, Nationwide has always said that it regards its book as pretty safe and sound, it failed this measure because just purely the, the extent of the debt, these ratios looking at the capital versus total loans. Total loans, yes, which obviously when the more traditional measure, or at least in the past decade of measuring bank financial strength, core tier one ratio, relates core capital to 
risk-weighted assets, and given that mortgages carry low risk weights, therefore they tend to have exactly. no problem meeting those. But when you look at overall assets, the number's far weaker. Yeah, so it missed the measure. But it hasn't been a disaster for Nationwide. They've come out and said that they have a plan in place to fill the gap, and the PRA has said, you know, OK, you can have until the end of 2015, which was a more generous timeline than some people had feared. Now, behind the scenes, you know, it looks like there's been some lobbying from Nationwide. I mean, they are usually quite a sort of sound and, and trusted institution. And to have them in the headlines saying, you know, they failed this measure was was quite odd and they were extremely angry about it at the time. They hit out quite aggressively at, at the measure the PRA had brought in. So it's all been smoothed over. We, you know, we'll find out a little bit more, we'll delve a little bit deeper into actually what happened. But it looks like they can hit this new measure through organic means, which is basically going to involve retaining more earnings, potentially cutting lending. That's the downside for the British economy. Um, yes, because they've been one of the biggest lenders actually yeah. into the mortgage market in particular, yes. uh, at a time when other banks were, were shrinking. Yeah, so so it's expected that they'll have to trim that back a bit. They've also said that they'll issue this new type of capital, which is designed particularly for building societies to get around this problem they've always had of not being able to issue simple shares and equity because they're mutually owned. So they've said that they will do that either this or next current financial year. So that will help them boost as well. So it's all these sort of measures together mean that they have satisfied the regulator. Now, it remains to be seen whether Barclays, which was the other institution to miss the leverage ratio requirements, will have such a smooth run at this. Now, they are still in discussions with the regulator. We haven't had any news yet. We're expecting it in the next couple of weeks. They may not take such a generous line with Barclays. Yes, and, and uh, obviously, we don't know what the numbers are. We, we know that they fell less short of the 3% number. I think it was two and a half that Barclays had versus two for Nationwide. But um, there are very big banks so the numbers do stack up i'm sure we'll hear back on that in the coming days that's all for this week my thanks to daniel charlene and simon for their contributions and thank you for listening remembering you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com banking banking weekly was produced by katie carney until next week goodbye for more downloads go to ft.com forward slash podcasts